when you tell what's happened in your life. Don't be talking about you accepting God. You marvel that He accepted you. It's the God of glory that accepted us. That's the amazing thing. And that's, that's the way the testimony, for instance, that grand testimony that Stephen gave in Acts 7, that's how he started. He said, hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to Abram. <laughs> and by the way, that whole seventh chapter of Acts, he's telling how the God of glory appeared to us, came to us. And he closes his testimony. Remember what the Bible says? He's looking up and he saw the glory of God. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, To the Glory of God. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Peter, Simon Peter, took the Lord aside and said, Lord, you're not going to die. And what did he say to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. That's where you find this lingo of us taking the Lord. No, the, you know, we, we use it in a glorious way when we say someone took they took her in, or they took him in, and it's a picture of compassion and receiving someone into their home and nurturing them. Perhaps the Lord accepted us. He took us in. That's the marvel of the gospel. We should never get over it. It's to the glory of God that he took us in. We glorify God because he accepted us. We glorify God, verse 7, because he accepted us. We glorify God, verse 8, for saving the Jews. And we glorify God, verse 9, really, down through 12, for saving Gentiles, okay? I mean, that's kind of the outline I would give you here. We glorify God because he accepted us. We glorify God because he was faithful to his promises to Israel, verse 8. And we glorify God for his mercy to Gentiles, verses 9 through 12. You see, we glorify God for his faithfulness. Verse 8, look at it. I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. He is faithful to what he said he'd do, and we glorify God for that. And then, verse 9, he became a servant to the Gentiles to glorify God again, he says it, for what? His mercy, his mercy, his faithfulness, and his loving kindness. And you know, by the way, that's the big picture when you step back from it. Uh, you know, we'd say, he accepted me, he accepted the Jews, he, he was faithful to his promises when he said he was going to save Israel, he is going to, and he has been, uh, you know, he fulfilled, Christ fulfills all the promises to Israel. And his mercy, and I speak now as a Gentile, you know, when I say his mercy to us Gentiles, we get in on it. So that's the big picture. But every Christian, too, I don't care what your background, Jew or Gentile, all of us, we glorify God individually, do we not, for those two things, too? His faithfulness, he does what he says he'll do, verse 8, he's faithful to his promises, and his mercies, his loving kindness. In fact, Jacob in Genesis 32 glorified God 
for both. He said, I am unworthy of all your loving kindness, and I'm unworthy of all your faithfulness. And that's a picture of every Christian. I don't care what your background, you're going to be praising God for his mercy and his faithfulness. His mercies, his loving kindnesses, they never cease. They're new every morning, right, we say? And what's the next line? Great is thy faithfulness. We praise him for both. And that's exactly what Paul does here as he summarizes God's great purpose. God sent his son. This gospel concerns his son, who is the seed of David according to the flesh, who is declared to be the son of God. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew, to the Greek. Come to Christ. You can be saved. You can glorify God for his faithfulness to do what he said he'd do and his mercy. Undeserved. We are unworthy of his mercy. Now look at verse 8. We glorify God for his faithfulness. I say that Christ, Paul says, I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. God in sovereign grace made many promises to Israel. And he will fulfill them. His faithfulness guarantees it. He will do what he said he'd do. You can't read the Bible without seeing that he said, and he says to the whole world, and I know today you're not even supposed to say things, but God doesn't worry about what you're supposed to say by man's standards. God doesn't worry about being politically correct. God is God. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. Well, what's your name? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, who are you? And then he stated it in the, remember at the burning, I am. I am who I am. The God of Israel is God Almighty. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he's faithful to his promises. And if he said, I'm the God of Abraham, he is the God of Abraham. And if he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if he's called 27 times, in the book of Isaiah, the Holy One of Israel. Then you can be sure he is. <laughs> and we Gentiles ought to just enjoy it. And we ought not to kind of try to push that aside and ignore the fact that he's the Holy One of Israel. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. That's why it should not throw you for a loop when he sent the disciples out originally in Matthew 10. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the house of Israel. When the Canaanite woman came to him and said, have mercy on me, son of David. And he said, I didn't come. I came to the house of sheep, the sheep of Israel. Then she pled his mercy, remember? She came on Gentile ground, basically. And she said, Lord, help me. Even the dogs get the crumbs under the table, don't they, Lord? And, she said, and he said, none of that. That's brokenhearted faith. And, of course, he didn't come merely for Israel. Don't misunderstand that either. But then he said, your faith has saved you, woman. He opened the floodgate. But you see, the purpose of God through history is you see it all through the Bible, and you see it here. As he says, he became the servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to 
the fathers. God promised Israel a Messiah. And when I hand us a Jew or a Gentile today a New Testament and say, read this book, what's the first verse they read? The book of the genealogy of the son of Abraham, the son of David. That's who we're talking about. Jesus Christ, and he is faithful to his promises. You say, well, I'm a Gentile. Listen, the more you and I understand about God's purposes and his faithfulness to his promises to Israel, the more then we will glorify God. Look at verse 9. He came to us for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and he goes right back to the scripture, the more we understand that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the more we will as Gentiles praise his holy name, that he isn't parochial in the sense of just having purpose for one nation, but rather through that one nation, he's going to bless all the nations. And in fact, we glorify him for his mercy. And then he says, as it is written. Now notice, and remember where we were last time and why I started reading really back at verse 4. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Remember in Luke 24, when Jesus said, all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Remember that? He said, all things which were written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. He divided the Old Testament into three categories. And he says, all those things written about me, the whole Old Testament is Christocentric, just like the New Testament is, just like the whole Bible is, just like all of history is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We should be always talking about Jesus. We should be considering him. We should be fixing our eyes on him because... He's the centerpiece. He's the centerpiece. He says all the Old Testament, Moses, Psalms, the prophets, it must be fulfilled. It's written about me. And now, verse 9 and following, he illustrates. First, verse 9 from the Psalms. Therefore, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. Psalm 18. It, he quotes a psalm. Then Moses, verse 10. The Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then the prophets, verse 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. That great messianic prophecy in Isaiah 11. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and, his, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. And verse 11 was... Uh, He's quoting from the shortest psalm, 117th psalm. By the way, uh, you know, it's a great psalm. I've kind of got the psalms on my mind. Somebody said, where are you going after Genesis? Well, tonight we're going to be in the psalms, and I think we're going to be there a while just looking at some psalms. But the 117th psalm, that little short psalm, is a good, is a good uh, little pattern. And it's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And he quotes the first verse of it, which is about half of it here, when he says, Praise the Lord, all you nations all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And uh, that's, that's what he's saying in many of the Psalms, and that's certainly what he's saying in the 117th Psalm. Now, the Old Testament, 
never spoke specifically of the church. The Old Testament didn't tell forth what Paul calls, uh, turn over to Ephesians 3. Turn to Ephesians 3. Paul calls it my insight into the mystery of Christ. My understanding, and he's not taking any credit for it. He says it's not my insight, but it's something God gave him to give to us. God revealed this truth to the apostles. Not in the Old Testament. This, the details of the church were not given. Uh, look at verse 4 and following of Ephesians 3. He said, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. You look at this stuff and you can see things that weren't made known in the other generations, but has now they've been now been made known. To be specific, you say, what is it? Well, verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Old Testament didn't say that, that... The Gentiles would be fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the body, fellow members of the body. You won't find that in the Old Testament. Paul says that's been revealed now to his holy apostles on New Testament ground. But that's not to say that all this wasn't promised. I mean, Romans begins by saying the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand in the Old Testament. And so from the beginning, God's worldwide purposes were made known. So turn back to Genesis 12, or if, you, if you're probably familiar enough with it, but you can just, when he said to Abram, he said, go forth, I'll make you a great nation. He said, I'll make your name great, so you shall be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, God is the God of Israel, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, but it will be through you that all the nations, all the families of the world will be blessed. And when Paul finishes the gospel in Romans, he says, just like it said, just like Jesus said, the Psalms, Moses, the prophets, everything written about him must be fulfilled. And he said, look, we glorify God with one voice. We Jews, we glorify him because he's faithful to his promises. We Gentiles, we glorify him because he's merciful. And, of course, all of us glorify him for both. And that's what he's drawing, driving at here. And uh, turn over, look at, look at an Old Testament passage with me. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. It's, it's exciting to me to see how this all ties together. God is the Holy One of Israel. 27 times he's called that in Isaiah. But you, and you go back to, you know, Israeli scripture. I mean, Deuteronomy 4. And uh, remember what I've been saying. The Holy One of Israel is the creator of heavens and earth. Start at verse uh, 32. Indeed now, ask concerning the former days which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other has anything been done like this great thing or has anything been heard like it has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived who's he talking to Israel has anybody, has, have you ever heard of this since God created man? That a people would hear the voice of God from the fire and survive. 
Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Jeremiah 23, 29 says. God's word, it was given through Moses. He wrote it down. Has anything ever been heard like this? Oh, it's an amazing privilege Israel had. Or has a God tried, verse 34, to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders and by war and by mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great terrors as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? I mean, they still make movies about it. It's an amazing thing. To you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God. There is no other besides Him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Out of the heavens He let you hear His voice to discipline you, and on earth He let you see His great fire, and you heard His words from the midst of the fire. And by the way, when He keeps speaking that way, it's very clear that He's speaking of the giving of the law. You can look at that in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy or chapter 20 of Exodus. But... Uh, the revelation of God's uh, word and his law through Israel. Because he loved your fathers, verse 37, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord... He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. He's the only God. His saving purposes have always included all men. He works through Israel to bless all the nations. So you turn to the last of the Bible. Look over at Revelation 7. And when you come to the scene before the throne in Revelation 7, there is this great multitude around the throne. After these things, verse 9, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the land clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Oh, there's this great multitude from around the whole world, from every tribe, he says, from every nation, from every people, from every tongue. Just think of it today. There'll be people around the throne of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the only God who made the heavens and the earth. There is no other. From Japan, from Costa Rica, from Russia, from America, from Niger. We were thinking about it yesterday as we're thinking of Kendrick and Alicia going out, from Nigeria, from Ethiopia, from Australia, from where our people are out proclaiming the gospel, there's going to be people around the throne praising God with one voice and with one accord, glorifying God for his faithfulness, for his mercy. No wonder the four living creatures and the elders, verse 11 the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It makes you praise God. Now look back at our text in Romans and see what happens. As Paul thinks this through, as he says, glorify God for this, that's exactly how 
He says it. Verse 9. He says, you know, Christ became a servant to the circumcision to magnify God for his faithfulness, to the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. And then he says, as it is written, therefore I will give praise. I will sing to thy name. Verse 10, rejoice. Verse 11, praise. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. Verse 12, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Praise, joy, thanksgiving, rejoice, hope. That's the fruit of the gospel. And that's kind of ties it all back then to what we saw in verse 4 last time. All this was written that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope and might give glory with one voice and one accord to God. And that's how he closes verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, when you tell what's happened in your life, don't be talking about you accepting God. You marvel that He accepted you. You know, that's what pe It's the God of glory that accepted us. That's the amazing thing. And that's that's the way the testimony, for instance, that grand testimony that Stephen gave in Acts 7, that's how he started. He said, hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to Abram. <laughs> and by the way, that whole seventh chapter of Acts, he's telling how the God of glory appeared to us, came to us. And he closes his testimony. Remember what the Bible says? He's looking up and he saw the glory of God. Oh, we're saved so that we might glorify God. And God is the God of hope. He's the God of glory. And he says, may he fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that joy? Do you have that hope? You could be here and just listening to this, but you've never, you know, appropriated any of this personally. Christians love to think on this. We come around this table, he told us to, because of what he's done for us. And we enjoy him. We have great, certain hope. We have the desire to praise and glorify him. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the amazing good news, is that God will accept you into his fellowship through the blood of his son, he sent his son to die for you, to give his blood in his body that you might be accepted into his family, that you might be able to come right into his very presence, like we can, into the God of glory's presence and say, Abba, Father. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, To the Glory of God, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? 
Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. We'd like to remind you that Abide in the Word only remains on this station through the generous contributions of listeners like you. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in this Bible teaching ministry? We'd love to have you join us. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The Christian life is a process of walking in goodness and walking in good works. And your life should show that you're a follower of the good one. You should be filled with all goodness. He says, I'm convinced you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. That's what Paul prayed for in Colossians. He said, I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh, pray that for me. Colossians 1.9. Pray that for those whom you lead to Christ. Pray that for your kids. Pray that for one another. And... You know, Christians need, we need knowledge and, oh, the need today for knowledgeable Christians. Because when I know, and I mean really know, that he's my keeper, well, it changes the way I walk, the way I live. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the message titled, Paul's Ministry. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.